This is Brian Bailey, Chief Marketing and Experience Officer with Metro Inclusive Health. You're listening to Inclusivity and Beyond, subjects that impact the health and wellness of our community. Welcome to Metro Inclusive Health's podcast to inclusivity and beyond. We're here to bring you another inclusive and informative conversation about health and wellness. Tonight's subject is one that's critical and one we must all work to support, LGBTQ youth mental health. I'll be your host for tonight's conversation. I'm Cole Faust. I use he, him, his pronouns, and I am the LGBTQ plus division manager with Metro Inclusive Health. We have a cast of experts on this subject, including Tolly Gentoli, a behavioral health therapist with Metro, Ren Joseph, an LGBTQ advocate and musician, and Lourdes Hernandez-Gonzalez, coordinator for the Office of Diversity and Inclusion with Hillsborough County Public Schools. Say hi, everyone. Um, Before we get started, I do want to mention that we just recognized World Suicide Prevention Day yesterday, and today is the 19th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. So we're sending lots of love and support to anyone that's affected by these days of significance. Um, And please don't hesitate to reach out if you would benefit from a counseling appointment or any services at Metro. So we'll go ahead and dive right in. Uh, I think that we all have different definitions or understandings uh, that come to mind whenever we talk about mental health as a subject. So the first thing I wanted to ask, and maybe this, maybe totally you're the best person to start us off with this conversation, but what is mental health? And, you know, um, I think sometimes we also conflate the words mental illness and mental health. So could you kind of just lay the framework for us? Yeah, mental health is really just our, we, well, let's step back and think about, we have our physical health, which is our body, right? And taking care of our body and getting it checked up and uh, making sure we're taking care of it and eating right. And then we have our mental health and we have to do the same thing with mental health. It's the stuff that happens in our brain um, and we need to take care of that as well, With it, whether that's through self-care, um, if we have medication, taking our medication, drinking water, right? And getting enough sleep to overcome or to overcome any stressors that we have going on. So our mental health, think of it just like physical health. You have to take care of your physical self. You have to take care of your mind. Awesome. I think that was a great way to describe it. Um, (laughs) Hi, everyone joining us in the chat. We love seeing your presence. Um, Did anyone else want to add anything to that? I think totally kind of nailed it. So um, the next thing I want to roll into is how do you talk about mental health with a child or a teen? Obviously, uh, our public school system, there's not really a class on mental health, although I'm sure we all wish that there was. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you start to open that conversation? Well, I, I think for me, and I once again, I work in Hillsborough County Public Schools, So I know that there might be some viewers that are from Pinellas County, Pasco County. And while every district is a little bit different, know that in the state of Florida, every school has a student services team. And there is more of awareness that's being brought to mental health at the schools to support our youth. And so what I typically tell staff that I work with is just being real with you all, right? It's just, we don't have to sugarcoat 
people want to be able to feel comfortable and have that safe space to talk about how they're feeling or the struggles that they're having. And so I think it's just important to just engage. I think engagement is always that first thing and, and making it comfortable that it's okay for us to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And you said a key word there, safe space. So what does that look like whenever we're fostering a safe space for a team to come to us and talk about mental health? So with regards to school settings, and, I, and primarily tonight, I'm going to talk a lot about school settings since I know Tolly does a lot of the behavioral health um, in, in your organization, but definitely confidentiality is a huge thing. So definitely if there's students that are having concerns or that want to talk to somebody, we're not going to have that conversation in the middle of the hallway, in the middle of the cafeteria. And so that safe space can either be the office of the adult that's trying to provide support, or sometimes students have their own safe space at the school. It might be a certain bench in a certain corner or a certain tree or, you know, so we, you know, we, we try to do the best that we can to make sure it's a space where they feel most comfortable. And one of the things that we've been working on a lot is not just a safe space, but safe to brave space. Cause I could offer the best safest place, but if you still don't feel comfortable enough to be able to, to tell me what's really going on inside that you can feel brave, even if I'm a stranger that you just met for the first time, um, you, you're just not going to open up. And so for, I think for anybody that's watching, if you're a parent, if you're a friend, it's making sure that that safe space is very inclusive and really what that person needs so that they can feel just confident and comfortable to, to talk about what's happening with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you have some stuff to add, Tolly and Ren. I, I just want to also highlight that for LGBTQ youth specifically, uh, having at least one trusted adult in their life significantly reduces the chances of self-harm and suicide. So whether that's someone at school or a parent or uh, even someone in a community center, rec center, that trusted adult is really important. So creating these safe spaces is really crucial in making sure we're supporting the mental health of LGBTQ youth in our communities. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> I, I felt like I was interrupting, so I wanted to stop. And sure. I know, absolutely. Having that supportive adult in some fashion is going to be really important and imperative to the longevity of the your child's mental health, right? Um, so if we think about if even us, us as children going through a hard time, having a supportive adult in our life that can show us like, hey, it's okay. Like, yes, this is hard right now. And we're going to get through it. I'm here with you, right? That can go a long way for any kid. And specifically when we think about our LGBTQ plus youth, having an adult that says, hey, you know what? I don't know your experience, but I love you and I'm here for you no matter what. It can leaps and bounds help the child. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Ren, you have some experiences with safe and brave spaces. What would you say next for safe space? Um, well, something that, uh, uh, something that I kind of got a, a new perspective on was this term and the whole debate of safe space versus brave space. Um, just for context, I do a lot of work at the University of Central Florida um, with our Labyrinth Council, which is the student leadership board under our, under our LGBT services office, um, as well as different organizations around like Equality Florida, Zebra Coalition, et cetera. Um, and something that kind of we've found is equally important to the concept of a you know a literal safe space you know some you know somewhere that where you go where you feel comfortable is also the concept of you know having you know you having you yourself as a safe space you know as a person 
you know, so when we're talking about, um, you know, especially like in the school system um, with um, teachers and counselors, um, you know, making yourself known and, you know, making known that you are the safe space that's not necessarily attributed to your office or um, your office or your, your classroom that, um, you know, that it goes beyond that. Um, I think it's kind of an important, it can be an important uh, framing to put just because, um, you know, you won't always have that physical space, but that doesn't mean that you won't have that person. Um, you know, I graduated high school. I no longer see the, uh, the therapist at Metro that I used to see, um, but uh, I still consider uh, I still consider some of those teachers. I still consider um, my old therapist a safe space because I feel comfortable with those people. I mean, it doesn't matter that we're not sitting, you know, in the office or in in a classroom. Um, so uh, I think making yourself known that's you know. That's a big thing with me. That's why I wear stuff like this sweater. Um, you know, just kind of um, making making sure that um, making sure that uh, the um, that um, you know kind of uh, English. Um, you know, kind of expanding that term so that way um, you know you have more than one way to view it, and you know you have more than one way to feel comfortable. Yeah, that's a that's really good insight, Ren. I think uh, for for teachers, some of those depending on what your you know policies are at, at your school, but having the a rainbow flag somewhere, having safe space stickers somewhere. I know Equality Florida has some stickers that they provide to teachers in in Florida that they can display in their windows and make themselves really visible uh, allies in the schools. Um, and then, you know, if you're a parent that's wanting your LGBTQ teen or suspected LGBTQ teen to open up to you, um, saying, you know, hey, I'm here to love you and support you no matter what. I hope you know that whatever you tell me, I will respond to with care um, and, and backing up that statement, too, with whatever they might bring toward, uh, to you. Um, and I, I think it's important to highlight, too, that, if, you know, for the parents that are watching, you're not going to have all the answers. You know, if your child comes out to you or if you're suspecting that maybe they are part of the LGBTQ plus community that, you know, just showing that like, hey, like I said earlier, I may not understand what you're going through, but I'm willing to learn. And that's a huge step to saying, like, I'm going to be here to support you. If I mess up, let me know. And I'm still willing to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I tell my parents of my kids all the time that I see, I say, give yourself some grace just because you, you've gotten this new information, you're not expected to know everything overnight, right? But as long as you're willing to learn and put that out there, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, something that's sometimes overlooked uh, when we're talking about mental health or the LGBTQ plus community are cultural differences. So what advice would you give to educators and parents uh, around cultural differences in supporting LGBTQ youth? and um, specifically thinking even, you know, even the differences between generations, you know, if you have grandparents who maybe didn't see as much visibility for uh, non-binary gender identities or um, pr uh, pronouns beyond he and she, uh, bridging the gap between those generational differences, cultural differences. We're all just smiling. I mean, I we, we, and I know we had the youth summit with you all in March and we talked a lot about intersectionality. And I, so I think it's important for people to recognize that there's so many things that make up who we are. And so my focus is always, or my theme is avoid stereotyping, right? Because even myself, so um, I'm Puerto Rico, 
I'm a female. I'm not going to put my age out there because then I'll really put my generation out there. <laughs> but I'm here talking tonight. Some things will be my own personal opinions, not just, you know, about the school district. But that doesn't mean I represent that every female that's from Puerto Rico my age thinks the same way, right? Or that their experience is the same way. And so I think just making sure that we don't fall into those uh, characteristics or cultural stereotypes that sometimes unfortunately occur. And just remember that once again, it's more than one thing that makes up the individual and that everybody's experience is really the, the important piece when we think about culture. Right. And you know, when it comes to specifically for those that identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community and the cultural differences, you brought up a great point about that intersectionality, mm -hmm. um, you know, and recognizing that if we think of any other identities, he used the word other, but what I have right now is the other identities, it's the, not everybody identifies the same way. Like even if we come from the same family, our beliefs may be different and that's okay, right? Or we may interpret the situation or interpret the world differently. It's all our perspective. And so if we can think about that too, when it comes to being mindful of cultural differences is that my approach to the world is gonna be very different than your approach to the world. And it's gonna be very different than this person and this person and this person, and they're all okay, right? And so being mindful and also ask questions to say like, hey, I wanna be mindful that we have a lot of differences, so how can I respect you? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, something I also want to touch on, um, uh, you know, I, I do agree with everything uh, yesterday about intersectionality. Um, that was a, a big thing I learned about with, uh, uh, through my education with Metro and Community Tampa Bay and everything. Um, you know, understanding the intersections, but I think even to go a level beyond that is understanding like the like the culture of a of a given space. You know, you know whether that be school, home, or or church. You know, it. You know, it doesn't matter. I'll give an example. Uh, you know, when I when I was in school, um, my I was in the I was in the band there, and the band was very diverse. You had people from all different backgrounds and all different ethnicities, religions, etc. Um, but at the same time, there's also there are also certain cultural things, and you know, one of those things where it was a, um, let's say we're, um, it was, um, there was kind of, it wasn't fully accepting of um, LGBT identities, and that kind of, it was kind of, it was, you know, it was a weird space to navigate because, you know, even though you know there, you know, it's a melting pot of of intersection ident and identities, the fact of we were all in that space, it, um, you know, it kind of. You know, it kind of said a lot about the way I acted and the way that I was going to talk if I was going to come out at all in that space, which I did eventually. Um, but, um, you know, kind of considering those things um, and, you know, going beyond school, uh, you know, you know, knowing the knowing the uh, knowing the opinions and the beliefs of, you know, your your house or if you go to church, you know, if that church um, maybe even work. Uh, just know, knowing the knowing the beliefs that are held in that space, and you know, using that to dictate, you know, how you speak and um, you know how you go about, you know, like the the coming out process if you go about it. Um, I think that's an important thing to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think coming out is a, a great topic to introduce into the group. So a lot of LGBTQ youth 
struggle with coming out because there's this pressure uh you know maybe there's peers that they've seen come out and maybe those interactions with coming out to family went well or maybe not so well but no matter what there's uncertainty typically for lgbtq youth and so um i first want to just affirm that there's no timeline for any human of any age of when you're supposed to come out you can come, i've seen people come out in their 70s i've seen people come out when they're four years old so um there, that can happen at any point in our lives but uh what advice do you have for lgbtq youth parents of lgbtq youth for supporting uh that that coming out process and what safety concerns initially come up so one of the I'll address like the about the coming out and like how should I come out or when should I come out or who should I come out to. Um, this question came up once for me and or for what somebody I was working with and they were like, is it bad that I came out to my friends first before I came out to my family? And I said, absolutely not. No, that's who you feel safe with. And so then getting into the safety concerns part, it's recognizing who in your life is that safe person for you that you know that if you say, hey, this is who I am, it's not going to be an issue or concern, you know, they're going to have your back. So that can help support you and prepare you as you come out to more individuals that it may be a little bit more challenging to come out to. I think it's important. And I, and I think about, we had a, a great session at the summit in March that you all had um, where we did talk a lot about your rights, right? Uh, just as a, as a citizen and as a student. And so tonight for any parent that's watching, or student, I think empowering yourself to do some of that research because with regards to, I'm gonna talk about school, regardless once again, what district you're, you're at, it's your choice, first and foremost, that's your choice if you wanna come out at school. And I think it's important for every parent and every youth that's on this line to know that there's a thing called equal access. That's a very real topic in school districts. So it's equal access to make sure you can participate in any program, regardless of your sexual orientation, uh, regardless of gender identity or expression, that there are, um, and I looked at specifically Pasco and Pinellas tonight, because I knew that some individuals on this, on this um, stream might be students of those districts. And same thing, there's anti-harassment policies, there's non-discrimination policies. And I think that it's important from the school district perspective to say that because when I've talked to students sometimes or parents, what they fear most is being excluded or isolated and participating in things that they normally like to participate in. And I'm here to tell you right now, please do your research because no one can say you cannot. It's your right as a student to be included in everything that the school offers. Um, and once again, that's equal access. So, so make sure that you know that. Um, and parents as well, sometimes parents greatest fears is, well, how's the school going to support my child? And so again, know that you all have rights to make sure that your child has the same options and benefits. Now, I'm going to be real. It's not always easy, just like anything else in the community. When we try to search laws, it's not always that easy, but it, but it's there. But that's why I want to once again, remind you all, and Cole mentioned it, there are adults that are supportive, that are allies at the school. So if you're not connected with one yet, I usually tell people to start with your student services staff first, because most school-based mental health professionals are allies, and that might be a safe place to start. But you all as students, you know who's a safe person most of the time, or you've heard through a friend who is. And so parents, the same thing. If you haven't been connected with somebody 
that you're sure about, engage your own children and ask them, so what adults have you seen at school that might be someone we can talk to to find out? Thank you so much for elevating the, the school support because like you're saying, Lourdes, I know that's a big concern for a lot of parents and guardians out there who have LGBTQ youth, just not knowing what the climate is gonna be like when their child transitions or comes out in that space. Uh, kind of to Ren's point about there, there's definitely certain cultures depending on the school that you go to. So mm -hmm. it's great to know that there's policies and adults in those spaces that will support our youth. And I want to also point out too something that um, I think it's important for any of our youth that are on this. If you're wanting counseling and you're worried about if your parents are going to allow you to come get counseling, right? You can get counseling at Metro. If you're 13 or older, you can sign yourself into treatment. Um, and I know that there's concerns with cost and all that stuff. And so reach out to us because we do have programs that are assist our, assist our youth for counseling. Um, so know if you're a 13 or older and you want counseling, you can sign yourself in for treatment. So another thing that comes up um, with LGBTQ youth is sometimes they come out to parents, guardians, and the guardians have no idea of the identity. Again, it kind of goes back to some generations had a little bit more exposure to the spectrum of LGBTQ identities and some just kind of got the, the spotlight of a kind of lesbian, gay, bisexual. And so they might not have as much understanding. How can parents respond in a supportive and understanding way without not necessarily knowing the ins and outs of every LGBTQ identity? I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's like what I said earlier is that you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to know. And it's okay to say that, you know, it's better to admit what's true than to kind of say, oh no, I completely understand and I support you and then cause more harm later on. It's okay and perfectly acceptable to say like, you know, I really don't understand what it means to be non-binary. Um, can you, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or, Thank you for t sharing this with me. I'm going to do my research so I know that I so that I can understand what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And even you know, I'd like to share a little bit about my own story with coming out to my mom as a trans person. Um, when I first came out to her, I was ready to send her an article and a bunch of things that I found online to educate her. And she looked at me and she's like honey, I, I just want to hear from you. You tell me, you know, tell me what, how you experience this and how I can support you. All I want is for you to be happy and healthy, which is the best possible response anyone could ask for from, from their parent. Um, but being able, you know, for her to say, I don't know what this means, but I'm willing to hear you and list you, listen to you and I'm present, you know, that was a great positive interaction for us. So like you're saying, don't don't feel like you have to know everything and have all the answers. Just be that present, loving person that your child needs, just as you would in any other situation. And uh, and uh, absolutely, that's I think that's definitely the best thing to do. Um, personally, I've always been uh, an advocate, and I still I still have this opinion of um, you. You know, when it comes to the LGBT community, if you don't. Um, if you don't share the identity, it's never something you'll be able to completely understand. Um, so, uh, and I, you know, I, I experienced that as a member of the community, you know, there, there are identities. I, I don't, I don't know the full experience. I don't know 
that walk of life. I don't know what struggles that neutral has to go through, you know, um, with those, with that identity, but I always, you know, something I always, I always make sure to do whenever anyone, um, comes out to me. And I think it's a, it's a good thing, um, for parents to do as well as just, you know, you know, first of all, you know, always, always say thank you. That's a big thing. Um, and, you know, make sure that person knows you still love and care about them. And above everything else, just make sure you're, you're doing everything within your power to make that person feel uh, respected and cared about. Um, because I, I still to this day, I have people come out to me and sometimes I've, I haven't heard of this identity or I haven't had a person in my life identity. And, you know, I don't necessarily want any kind of explanation. You know, I, you know, I think it's always good to be educated, but at the same time, if, if I can respect you fully without knowing everything, that that's enough. Um, and if it's, and if it's not, and if you want, and if, you know, if, if that person wants you to know everything, wants you to be as educated as you can be, you know what, go off. Like, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's different for everybody, but, um, you know, definitely uh, above everything else, just make sure that, uh, you know, your the language you're using, you know, during that initial conversation and going onward is uh, being respectful of that individual uh, to the fullest extent that you can be. Mm -hmm. That's a great point, Ren. And, and I think another thing that parents sometimes get worried and, and tense about is using the right pronouns or, or referring to the right identity. Uh, and I think to, to just kind of summarize everything that everyone said is it, your intention and your impact matter, but when you continue to remind your child or the young person in your life that you really do care and you're trying and you're taking the time to, to do your own work and do your own education outside of that, uh, it really does show. It, it shines through in those relationships. Mm -hmm. So coming out is not the only issue that uh, LGBTQ youth face. Um, there's bullying, reject, rejection, lack of acceptance from family, isolation. Um, could you kind of speak to what resources are available uh, and what those, where those experiences might happen, where they show up? I'm sorry, I started reading the comment. <laughs> what was the question again? I'm yeah, so yeah. So I was just saying that LGBTQ youth don't always, uh, only have to worry about the coming out process, right? There's also bullying, rejection uh, from other family members, extended family members, maybe friends, um, sometimes isolation. Uh, how would you encourage people to access resources around these issues and how do these show up in LGBTQ youth lives? And I'll jump in and read that comment. Um, if I can, if I can get us uh, started here, um, I don't know something that comes to my mind. Um, is I was kind of I was reading around the internet before this started, just kind of get an idea. Um, is with the the current situation that we're in, um, which is where on the one hand, um, a lot of those issues that LGBTs have to deal with with the um, bullying and, and the antagonization that can come from you know, being out or being visible in your identity, um, they don't, uh, you know, a lot of them maybe don't have to deal with that as much or if at all anymore, just because, you know, a lot of schools are taking at least partially virtual routes. Um, but at the same time, they lose that, you know, they lose that sense of community to an extent. They lose, you know, seeing their friends every day or, you know, going to going to physically see a therapist or to a youth group, they, they lose that. Um, and, um, uh, 
a lesson that I learned from, of all people, uh, Peppermint, um, on her, um, that was very cool. Um, but, um, was, um, you know, you have to, you know, build yourself up and be confident in yourself. Um, and the, you know, with quarantine with like, yes, you're alone. Um, but you know, yes, you're physically alone, but, uh, you know, this could be a time to, you know, build a lot of that strength within yourself. So that way you can handle yourself, you know, you know, experimenting, you know, getting more comfortable with your expression, with your image, with your own internal sense of self, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that means for you. Um, cause, uh, the, you know, and I've experienced this personally, the, the stronger sense of self that you have and the more confident you are in yourself with your identity, the less that any of that ostracization or any of that, you know, that so-called hate is actually going to, to get to you. Um, just because, um, as she put it, just because somebody denies your identity doesn't mean they're taking it from you. It doesn't, it, you know, you don't lose your identity just because someone says you don't have it. Um, so I think it's very important to work on that self-care and to work on that confidence. That way, when you're in these situations where you're, you know, maybe it's not completely accepting, maybe there's somebody or there's a lot of people who don't agree with, um, you know, who don't agree with your identity or who don't respect it, um, but it won't affect you as much because you have yourself, you have your own confidence, and you don't need it from them because you, you built it for yourself. That's a really uh, great really point, Ben. Um, I think that sometimes, uh, I think that's kind of like a universal theme, you know, like all of us can benefit from having a little stronger sense of self, whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or not, because it really does, the people that you surround yourself with uh, when you when you build community, uh, once you have that sense of self, kind of do serve as a shield, you know, you have these people behind you and you feel strongly rooted in yourself. So that the the hurtful things or this the stings that people throw uh, don't really hurt as as much. And I think it's not something that we have to build on our own. So you know, LGBTQ youth in schools maybe they have access to a GSA, a Gender and Sexuality Alliance, or also known as a, a Gay Straight Alliance. Um, that can be a great space for youth to reach out to peers to to build a stronger sense of self. Um, to have that support network. I, I'm shameless plug, Metro Inclusive Health also has four times a week LGBTQ youth programming that's no cost uh, and very easy to access. And there's always new new things going on. Um, but, but allowing yourself to have community support as you're building that sense of self uh, can make it a lot easier along the way. So you don't have to figure it out all on your own. Yeah, I think I want to add too. I know Ren mentioned earlier, we're in a state right now where some people have chosen to do their school virtually. Um, and I totally understand why. If I could work home virtually, I would too. But I, I definitely, and I'm going to go back, you're going to hear me do a lot of empowering conversation tonight. I'm a social worker like Tolly, and that's what we do. I just want to kind of, right? I, I just want to emphasize it's so much easier to build relationships face to face, especially at school with, with adults, because you can also kind of observe to see which adults are really more welcoming and inclusive. So obviously virtually that makes it more difficult. You might also have new teachers this year, but please don't let that be the excuse to, to take on um, any bullying that people may be doing through virtual classes right now or through chat spaces through whatever whatever program your your school district is using and so once again regardless of what district you go to school if if right now you're a victim of bullying 
or any type of harassment, you have several options. One, if you do have an adult uh, from last school year that you felt safe with, email them. Most most teachers nowadays on the school districts, you can see what, what their email is. Send them an email that you wanna talk or that you, you wanna know if they can connect you to somebody. If you don't have access to someone who you felt safe with and comfortable last year, then contact the school administration because I know you guys don't really see a lot of those administrators that maybe were supportive or even the counselors because now virtually you're just with that teacher. Please know that while you're doing your courses virtually, the school is still open and it is functioning just like if you were there. So make sure any of you that are doing virtual right now, don't let that stop you from advocating for yourself and get the help that you need to stop any bullying that's going on. Absolutely. I had to say that. I had to say my piece about that because I keep hearing so many excuses right now because of COVID. And I'm like, absolutely not. You still make that phone call or email. So parents, please. I think sometimes it's difficult for young people to feel comfortable to, to file that grievance. So you can help them in that process as well. So. Yeah. And all of our behavioral health services, our individual sessions, we're doing telehealth too. So um, I think like we mentioned earlier, it's really hard developing that connection with somebody through a computer or with a therapist through a computer. And trust me, we feel it the same way. Like we'd much rather be in person with you all to have those sessions so we can really connect and you can get to know us. But this is the service is still available in, even in the midst of all of this. If you're experiencing bullying, if you're experiencing rejection or isolation or lack of support, you know, there are resources that are available to you. Um, all you have to do is just ask. Absolutely. So I do want to give a content warning. We're about to talk about suicide um, because sometimes when there's a lot of distress and someone's carrying a heavy load and they're not sure where to turn, um, those kind of dark and scary thoughts can start to creep up. So we do want to offer some support and, and guidance uh, on what to do if you think that your LGBTQ young person might be struggling, kind of some warning signs and uh, you can look out for. And uh, before we jump into that conversation, I do want to highlight that Trevor Project offers 24-7 uh, crisis support through their, uh, they have a phone number, which is 1-866-488-7386. Um, and they also offer text options. So if an LGBTQ young person is a little nervous about jumping on a phone call, but feels a little more comfortable with texting, they can absolutely text for that support. But um, I'll open it up to Tolly and Lourdes with the social work backgrounds. Um, what are some behaviors that might signal that an LGBTQ young person is struggling with depression and or suicidal ideation? Yeah. Um Thank you. I think there's a lot of things that we can we can see, right? That there's somebody going through a really hard time. So if they're doing any like drastic changes to their physical appearance, whether it's they're cutting their hair or they're not taking care of their physical self, like haven't showered in weeks, um, don't brush their teeth, don't really wear dirty clothes, don't really care for their appearance. That's something to be aware of too. Um, giving away personal belongings or personal items. So it's like, oh, well, I have my laptop, but I'm not going to need it anymore. So I'm going to give it away to my friend, right? That's something to look out for as well. Um, and then how their performance in school is. So if their grades are decreasing, and especially if they don't seem to care, or even if they care, but they're like, just the lack of motivation to really do more, that's something to be aware of as well. Um, 
you know, the warning signs for suicide are just, they're right there. So if you see somebody, you know, that you, you recognize like, Hey, something seems a little off, even in the way they're talking, even the way they're acting, it's okay to ask. And one of the biggest things to do is develop that confidence to say, are you planning on killing yourself? Because if we say you're planning on harming yourself or hurting yourself in some way, you know, it kind of scoots around it. Like, yes, we want to talk about self-harm too and asking those questions, but asking directly, are you planning on doing this? Can get that really direct answer to show like, I care and I want to make sure you're okay. Um, it's a question I ask in all my, in all my sessions is, are you having thoughts of self-harm? Are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you having thoughts of homicide? I ask directly because I think it's very, very important. So I can provide the support that's needed. And so for those that are watching that, you know, you have somebody in your life that's struggling and you're seeing sometimes you're like, I'm really not sure if they're okay or not. Ask, just ask. I'm glad you said that totally. Cause I think a lot of people worry that by asking that question, they're going to plant the thought or that they'll have some kind of influence. And so knowing that it's actually a positive thing to ask, I think is important. Yeah, it's absolutely a positive thing. If the thought's already there, you're not planting it. You know, you're asking to bring it to light so you can get help. If it's not there, you're asking so they can say like, oh no, like that's not a thought I want. Or it helps them process it to say like, do I really want to do that though? Is that really the direction I want to go for my life? This person is asking me, I didn't think anybody cared, mm -hmm. right? So it's not a negative thing to say to say this because we don't like we think, oh, I don't, I don't want to give them an idea. Um, that this, this is an option. No, it's asking and saying, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know totally in the beginning when we opened this session, I've talked about the physical health and then mental health. And so for those of you that are once again here to help support other individuals, regardless if you're a parent or a friend, a young person, think about first aid, right? So if you saw that somebody got cut, you're gonna engage and you're gonna ask them, do you need help? Are you okay? So it's the same thing with the with the the different things that Tolly was describing. You know, if you see that that once again the individual losing interest and in stuff, the the helplessness, the 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 changes, ask it. It's the same thing. Like if you were to address anything that's happening physically with someone, and mm -hmm. I think what I've heard from students, from 